Do you want to do a proper intro or is that the intro? No, we should do a proper intro. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. Whatever you want. Okay. Um, welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. This is going to be a great, great start to season two because I have our primary guest, as always, Nathan here. Wow. What a surprise. I'm shocked to be here. Uh, I mean, we're recording on my machine and all that, but I'm still shocked. Uh, amazing that you have me back. Appreciate yeah. it. Uh, as you mentioned before recording, uh, apologies, you'll probably hear something. It's one of our fans uh, is in the audience today. And that's because we're in a different location. Trying it out. Didn't expect there to be uh, more than zero fans here. So yeah. apologies for that. They're just making some soft whistling yeah, in the background. Just, you know, it's just how it how it be. We're just a consistent stream of enjoyment and the fan just seems to be playing along. And yeah. That's okay. Yeah. This is our new headquarters, the new Do Better HQ um, of entertainment. Mm. Yeah. I booked this room for two hours, so it'll be a, a temporary headquarters. But who knows? Maybe next week, just like me, it'll come back. Wow. Yeah. I'm assuming that I'll be on the next episode. That might be presumptuous. Uh, you know, the best guest is the one who brings all the equipment and <laughs> <laughs> and suggests the theme for the episode. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm liking that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, with that said, uh, it's been a minute since we recorded. Uh, a few months, actually. Uh, decided to just call this season break because nobody wants to record in the summer. No. We're both hanging out with our uh, international women. So I uh, couldn't record, obviously. And oh. then two days ago, the rainy season started. Uh, after this nasty drought, all the salmon were dying. Now we have now we have some rain, which means obviously uh, it's time to record a podcast. Yeah, salmon's are living. Mushrooms are going to be thriving again. Uh, the only reason I know that is because of a friend of ours that I follow on Instagram who was very happy that mushrooms are going to be very happy with this rain. So, yeah, summer's over. We're going to be inside. So what do we do inside? We create. That sure. can have many meanings, and everyone's open to interpretation there. There you go. Uh, you heard it here first. Of course. Yeah. Unless you heard it somewhere else before. In that case, you heard it X number of N plus one year. And we're just reinforcing what you already know. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, yeah, this is basically a catch-up episode. We haven't talked a whole lot no. over the summer. As I said, we've been doing our own things. Uh, I mean, I live minutes away, so it's very difficult for us to overlap our busy schedules. Yeah. Um, but it's more of a catch-up episode, mostly talk about uh, working, a little bit of do-betters, because I haven't done anything, uh, I haven't improved at all. Uh, since the, the summer. Phase. Yeah, it's impossible without the show. Okay, I How? thought you just hit peak, you just can't be improved. No, it was more of a plateau. Oh, okay. Yeah, with a bit of a dip. Um, oh, no. which, I'll, which I'll get to in my do-betters. But, uh, yeah, no no did-betters and no, well, because there was a big break. They're kind of irrelevant now. I saw them, and they were like, book a dentist appointment, uh, which I had done. Wow. Yes. I'm now coming up on my next dentist appointment. That's how long it's been. Crazy. Yeah. Is so. it long enough to buy a new pair of socks since the last time we bought new pair of socks? Well, I, last time I bought some new socks was with you uh, when yeah. you bought a backpack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, that was post-recordings. 
Yes, uh, but now we're back into the summer where I can wear my boots. So it's time for some more, or summer. Uh, we're out of the summer, back into the fall and the rainy season where I can wear my boots. So I need more high socks because I only have three pairs. Wow. Yeah. Didn't do much hiking. That's turns a lot. out. I didn't. Did a good amount. I did a tantito amount of hiking. Si. <laughs> si, gato. The uh, Duolingo, do a better show is what this is. Yeah, sponsored by Duolingo. Yeah, because it's either Spanish or Spanish. That's <laughs> Yes, pretty much. Yeah, I'm going to see how that goes uh, in December. Wow. Breaking news. Breaking news. We'll catch you up on that on future episodes. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Scott. So stay tuned for the new year. Be crazy. Yeah, these are these are what we call cliffhangers, and um, we've been getting a lot of these in in Mr. Robot, which I've been watching. Uh, oh, Foreshadowing—that's the word I'm looking for. Foreshadowing for things to come. Wow. Yeah. How is Mr. Robot? Would you say that's one of your cool, interesting? It has things? been interesting. It's also been frustrating. Um, uh, I've added for this season because you know got to change something up. I've added fun. So it's now cool, fun, interesting, frustrating. Wow. Just to keep the variety going. It's the spice of life after all. That, Absolutely. That in like cumin. So these are the important things. And yes, Mr. Robot, I forget which season I liked the most. We're almost done. We have like three episodes left in the season four. And every time that we watch an episode, I put off the next one for like at least a week because I'm just so annoyed with this season. Oh, it's the final season. I think we got through the first six episodes of the season in a couple weeks or something, and it's probably been a month to get through the last seven episodes because, I, yeah, I just keep pushing it off. Wow. So, uh, I mean, it's good, interesting, but also a lot of this season I've just been so mad when the episodes are done. It either feels like a waste of, waste of time, or like just didn't it didn't have to be that way. Why did they bring Vera back? Vera didn't have to be involved. He I was so happy when he wasn't around. So anyway, I go to Reddit for the discussions, the post episode discussions that happened when they aired, right? And try to convince they're... myself that they were good. Oh, okay. So I've been doing that each episode, and that's what's kept me going. Because after the episode, I'm so disappointed in the forty ish minutes of experience I just had so I go to reddit to read everyone just gushing about how great it was oh. and how Sam Esmail or Esmail or however you say it mm-hmm. is is like a visionary and this is a legendary series that we're watching in real time and all that to build up wow. the capacity for the next episode are these threads like you know how the English teachers are like the curtains were blue because they exhibited sadness and stuff but in reality the curtains were just blue that's what the author wanted to say. Uh, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Uh, it's hard to say too much. I mean, some of it's pretty legit. There's, there was an episode that was set up like a play, and someone pointed out that they were kind of like the stages of grief. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense, because it was like in five parts or whatever. I was like, okay, you know what? Interesting. Good take, I guess. Still was annoyed by the episode. Uh, but I think that's just the nature of Mr. Robot. I mean, I, I grew up watching Red Green and Flag of the Concords, so very different quality of entertainment and just um, 
category, I would say. Yeah. Mr. Robot, Flight of the Conquerors, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Stark difference. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I wish they were more similar. One of my favorite episodes was the ridiculous one where Mr. Robot just locks Elliot like in his brain oh, yeah. and takes him on like this 90s cartoon adventure while Elliot's being beaten. Yeah. I was like, huh. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It came out like eight years ago. I yeah. guess you're not going to watch it or... If you've somehow not watched Mr. Robot, but you're listening to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Do Better Dev Show, I consider this spoiler deserved. <laughs> no uh, regrets. Yeah. Thanks for being our number two fan. Thank you, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. What the heck have you been up to? Well, I noted down three highlights of the summer, but only Did because those are the three I could think of. You don't have anything that was cool, interesting, frustrating? These these are the cool, interesting. So the cool uh, thing was okay. summer felt it lasted a lot longer mm. because it came late, and by the time it came, I'd already done my depression. I'm depressed this winter. Let's travel runs a little bit. So when actual summer hit, and I was like, oh cool, I get to experience this longer. And uh, as you said before, yeah, the international lady, big highlight. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, yeah. For those listeners, I'm doing eyebrows right now. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the third highlight I noted is I've discovered this app called Too Good To Go, where it'll be like restaurants or pizza places or grocery stores saying, hey, this stuff is soon going to expire. Um, we can just package a whole bunch of it in this one bag for five bucks, and you can just have a big bout of food for five bucks and it's just been the, my favorite thing uh, <laughs> I am ironically probably spending more money on it than I would if I were just buying stuff wholesale every few months uh, but no now in the past month I've eaten too many pastries bubble teas um, and I'm on my way to get pizza after this recording <laughs> um, <laughs> so genius app idea though is just I hope more places support it, mm-hmm. so that when I'm traveling and going to places as well, I would love to not spend twenty dollars on a full meal in a restaurant and just get seven dollars for food that we're gonna throw out in two days. Right. Because very happy with that. Yeah. Good luck spending twenty dollars at a restaurant. That's also true. Uh, I'm sorry. Instead of a restaurant, I meant Subway. Yes. <laughs> by <laughs> by food, I meant their five dollar sub that due to inflation is probably eighteen dollars plus twenty dollar twenty percent tip plus twenty percent credit card charge that they can post on people now plus fifteen percent service fee plus twelve percent GST PST. That's um, more like it. Yeah. 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 Plus being a mail surcharge, I don't know. There's probably a whole bunch of things that I need to pay for. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that that that's what the outside world is for buying food. Interesting. Yeah, you told me about this, and I forgot what it was called. Wow. I was I was like it's some it was some sort of play on words, uh, and I forgot it right away. But I guess I don't really need like a bag of bubble teas. So no, there's like three in there, but like the pastry ones I find are better deals. Okay. Um, because for like five bucks you'll get like a muffin, a croissant, something else, maybe a loaf of bread. Which, as a student, that would have been a game changer. Right. Uh, as an adult who just doesn't like to spend a lot of money, it's a game funner. I see. Uh, game still remains the same. It hasn't been changed, but I do it's, even play it, it a lot more. It's kind of like a food loot box. It 100% <laughs> is. 
and uh, I'm, I've experimented at the last pizza place where I asked, just when, when I went there, I was just like, can you make sure just all of these are vegetarian? And they were very accommodating. Hmm. So I don't even have to be surprised by a meat pizza because that happened the first time I got it. I was like, there's got to be at least like one cheese slice in there. There wasn't. <laughs> so I had to just next time request and they were nice. So tonight I'm hoping the same thing works. Wow. Um, but like grocery stores and pastries and stuff. Yeah. Just vegetarian stuff. I'm pretty happy about it. Wild. Yeah. So those, those I kept as like the cool, interesting, frustrating things. Uh, a big frustrating one, I guess, would be just fun things happening in big tech uh, that I'm not extremely happy about, but just how management works. Mm. But I don't think I can say a lot more about it without maybe possibly endangering my job. So I will remain shut about it until I've left Amazon. And then I'll speak openly about it and make clickbait videos. Ah, good. Yeah, that's the whole point. We've discussed this. Yeah. The reason to go to Fang is so you can become a YouTube star exactly. after by making a video why I left my Fang job yeah. as a millionaire. As a millionaire, yeah. And then there will be like a first disclaimer that says I'm actually not a millionaire. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Or did I leave Fang after becoming a millionaire? Question mark. And then I can make that statement. The answer is no. The answer is no. No, yeah. I left Fang before I became one. Yeah. And I technically didn't leave. They fired me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all technicalities though. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I have a couple things that were actually on my cool, fun, interesting, frustrating list. Uh, so the first one uh, was one of the things I sent to you about how we need to record, and it was Blue Sky's AT protocol, which I have no idea if this will become anything. Who has who else has any idea anyway? But it's a new internet protocol spec, basically, for decentralized social media accounts of sorts. Um, I haven't looked into it a whole lot, apart from the idea that it essentially ties like digital identity to profiles, I believe, and then it allows you to travel across accounts, kind of like a more involved, um, I forget what those were called, not not Gliffy, but there was like some sort of um, like global profile picture you could oh, yeah. upload. Yeah I, don't, yeah, I don't remember what that was called, but it's kind of like that, except uh, a bunch of info about you that travels around and uh, apparently you own it or it's decentralized or it's on the chain or something it's web3 probably web hashtag web3 yeah. yeah maybe that's what yeah we'll do it we'll have to get through season two yeah and then season three will just be the web3 season wow. where every week is just a new hype cycle i think that'd be great yeah especially because once you're web3 you never come back down Right. Uh, anything developed on it is the best thing. It's kind of like how, for a period of time there, uh, the th third movie in a, in a series was like whatever 3D, like Spy Kids 3D, because 3D was the big deal. It'd be like Season Web 3. Wow. Do Better Dev Show. Season Web 3. I, I think it's a, a good way to ride the hype wave um, to tens of views. Yeah, and then I can take my social media profile chain from uh, Facebook by Meta to Insta by Meta to WhatsApp by Meta <laughs> to, you know, all of these great different social media alternatives that mm. exist on the blockchain right. owned by a bunch of subsidiaries under Meta. Yeah. I look forward to that. Yeah, and then they'll Truly just... Truly decentralized. Yeah. And they'll just be like... Uh, 
that new SpaceX instant messaging platform called Twitter. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That you can only chat with if you have Starlink. <laughs> it's just a new ISP locked weird. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Ironic though that they don't own Rocket Chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That would be on brand. Uh, and then the fun one. Okay, so this one's like mildly embarrassing, but also I'm really into it these days. Which is, there's a guy who made a uh, few different videos for Frontend Masters. One of them's an algorithms video, and I watched a chunk of it, and I saw that he had a YouTube channel. So I started watching his YouTube channel, and a lot of it was clips from his Twitch streams. So I started watching Twitch streams. So now I'm a total like Twitch degenerate watching the Primogen, who is like a some sort of senior level developer at Twitch, or no, not Twitch, sorry, at Netflix, who loves coding in Rust. Okay. And his current kick right now is going through and calling every single, th- or testing, like testing the performance of everything that claims to be blazingly fast. And so it's his new like catchphrase, but I think it's new for like the last year because new frameworks keep being released that in their readme claim to be blazingly fast. Mm-hmm. And so he'll just pit all the blazingly fast things against each other and then pits them against Go and Rust and then Go and Rust always just crushes them. Oh. Uh, so yeah, uh, <laughs> so that's been fun because it's a lot of stuff I haven't thought about before uh, because he comes from a totally different like background and set of concerns where his big concerns are like the fact that JSON takes more bytes to send over the wire than like protocol buffers. He'll go on like a 45 minute rant about how JSON is the real problem here. And I'm like, okay, these aren't bottlenecks I have to deal with, but it's so interesting hearing someone else deal with these problems and how they get around them because at the companies I've worked out, it's like, it's too slow, just rewrite it and go. And yeah. that'll fix it. And then that's enough. Honestly, like the concurrency and the speed, it's enough. We don't care that it's still JSON. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you have to deal with, cannot unmarshal JSON type Boolean into array or whatever. But it's faster. Yeah. Uh, and most people can figure out how to write it. Whereas with Rust, uh, no one knows how to write it. No. Uh, but it goes burr. So, it does go far. and I learned that it goes, it also gets transpiled uh, into WebAssembly, uh, which I didn't know. It's the primary source language for WebAssembly. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Also, apparently, a bunch of people that work at Amazon every year vote it to be the most loved language on the like Stack Overflow or survey. Whoever does these surveys on most loved languages, Rust is the most popular every year. Like, I think the only people that use it are people at Amazon. Yeah. So it's just a bunch of uh, people who are obsessed with their customers and Rust. Yeah. Maybe and because they're also developing Rust, Rust is one of the customers. Yes. So it's just a cycle. It's, it, yeah, it's, um, it's all a bit incestuous, but it works out. Yeah. Uh, I did listen. He has a podcast he releases very infrequently as well, and he interviewed a guy who maintains rust at amazon what's his name nico i don't remember okay um i could tell you pretty quick uh, but i am curious to hear about how your rust adventure went and if you continued doing it or not uh i did not so it started off and we were down very quickly 
Um, the reason it started was because I joined a team where the application is written in Rust and the entire stack is being rewritten in Rust uh, from scratch. And I, because I'm a systems engineer, not a software engineer, I was like, okay, even just knowing Rust so I can figure out if there's any bottlenecks in the application or issues, uh, maybe we can help with the deployment processes and such. Took a course, learned some things, and then realized I don't need to touch the application code at all. And the big barrier to learning with Rust is the fact that it's a lot lower level than most other languages very comfortable or learn in our days. Mm -hmm. um, so even like even learning something low level like C or Go does not translate to learning Rust, which is mildly annoying. And Rust very much is focused around like thread safety and concurrency. Yeah. And it's so much easier to just go in Java or go and just like, all right, fork a bunch of processes, go do the thing. Uh, as opposed to in Rush, where it's like, oh, no, 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 let's create these different threads and let's make sure we have one immutable pointer and like everything points to it and let's pass those around weird mutexes mm -hmm. and the structs are back again and you can wrap your head around all those basics of the language. Yeah. But then you look at an established code base that your team has been working on for months and they have formats in there and they have structures and they have their version of whatever MVCs and everything in there. And you're like, I, I don't know what's happening. I, <laughs> I don't even know how they've decided to make this a library versus this an executable because this library is only being imported by this one executable. They might, might have thought this would get shared at some point but currently it doesn't, and it's making things more complicated for me. Um, so there, it felt like a big barrier uh, mm. to get in, where learning Rust versus learning Rust for an application and a specific problem that exists, right. which you don't get to work on day by day, uh, really makes you dislike and removes anything you actually learned about Rust out of your brain very quickly. Because two days after I made all that connection and realization, someone came to me and was like, hey, we half wrote this Java application that does something, uh, can you make this better and add things to it? And I was like, great, I guess. I haven't touched Java in a while, but I know it'll be easier to pick up again. Uh, <laughs> and I've been touching that now, and yeah, doing more threads and work there on that side, which is fun, interesting, but also um, hard to scale without like a central management of things. But that's mostly been my risk journey where I just got really sad and overwhelmed. And I was like, I need more direct work with this. Then I realized my work profile and priorities didn't align with it. And I am not invested enough in my outside life to play with Rust I see. and try to build something. I did my Hello Worlds and I was like, all right, I get the basics of the language, but anything more complicated requires me to work on something full time right. uh, to get a deeper understanding of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem to well. If, to to quote the primogen, he said something along the lines of, uh, he it was a video about um, side projects, and he's like, let's say that you're considering making a side project because you have to decide why you want to do it. Are you doing it to learn a language? If you're like, oh, I want to learn Rust, don't also try to learn Rust while building something you want to build, because uh, you're not gonna you'll never complete it. It's impossible. It's your first crack at Rust. You won't know what's happening. Uh, so take whatever you learned and try again. <laughs> uh, so I'm getting a similar vibe 
from your interpretation. Yeah, I built something in Rust, and once I finished building it, a lot more requirements came in. It's like, by the time I figure out these requirements and the language specifics, I can rewrite this entire thing in Python and be done. And my senior dev was like, oh, can you? I was like, yeah, give me two days. The week I've spent building this thing in Rust, it'll run slower, uh, a lot slower, sadly. Mm -hmm. Python isn't even truly multi-threaded. No. Um, but I rewrote the entire thing. It's testable. It looks clean. It was easy to run. Every All the good stuff. Um, but yeah, the performance went from like a couple of seconds to minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very big jump. This but is not blazingly fast. No, this is what I'm learning to appreciate so much from following someone who... Because I haven't worked at any companies that actually scaled, right? It's just been startup after startup after startup, which is just like, I did today, I learned that our front end code base is a, it was created a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago, whatever it was, which is when the company started more or less, but it used Create React app. Wow. Oh, no, dude. Uh, so disappointing. So like, that's the world I'm living in. They haven't even rebuilt their front end yet because they haven't realized that it was such a mistake to use Create React App, and it doesn't use TypeScript, and it has prop types imported, but they don't use them. Uh, we had the excuse for our end-to-end -end tests, which were our functional tests, which are our browser-based tests, whatever term you want to use for it. The reason they existed was to prevent runtime exceptions where undefined is not a function, which is solvable entirely with TypeScript, like just writing it in a even pretending to be typed language. So like these are just not mature products. So listening to someone who's just like, let me show you how much it takes to send this amount over the wire with JSON versus with protocol buffers. I'm like, interesting, not a problem I get to face. And so now when I'm going into the winter and thinking about personal projects and things, I'm like these are things I would like to look into. What are these things that he has to deal with? what like things that I wouldn't even come across day to day and I'm not going to come across but maybe at some point it'll spark an idea or whatever uh, or I'll just enjoy playing with it because it's different than what I do at work so that sort of thing also the guy's name was John John this with a G oh uh, but I, get, I take it that you're not a rustation the yeah, I am not. No, you're not a. No. So that's. Uh, I think gophers. Um, let's like objectively speaking, go gophers are better than rustations. As far as mascots go. Like well, rust. The go gopher, I think, is like pretty up there. That yeah. For any language. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So like go go definitely crushed it with the, the mascot, uh, branding. Yeah. And I remember five six years ago whatever it was when i was first reading like how to use go and they used gophers to explain channels and it was just like gophers with wheelbarrows drawing in the documentation and i was like i'm pretty sold on this uh at that point i had approximately zero months of experience so i had no idea why i would need any of this but it was still fun i still enjoyed looking at these drawings of gophers with wheelbarrows and i'm not going to be excited about watching like crabs with uh, non-shareable or like single owner pointers just like passing around a, a reference or whatever. Yeah, maybe it's crabs like issuing tickets or something. Maybe. 
Yeah, I don't know much about crustaceans and what their behaviors are outside of rust. Yeah. In order to, but I mean, gophers don't use wheelbarrows. So what am I talking about? That's true. That's true. <laughs> Not that we know of. Could be a Toy Story nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. But yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's what I've been uh, spending my degenerate time in. Uh, is just watching an absurd Twitch streamer because he is very absurd. Uh, not safe for work. Viewer discretion is advised. Yes. Lots of screaming. Uh, and he's got this whole vibe going where it's like this um, univ- like universe he's created where he is the founder and CEO of a multi-billion dollar startup that exists only in his Twitch screen slides. Basically, he's just in front of a green screen and he has these transitions that he hits to go to like the HR room or like in his cubicle or like talking to his um, moderators in their office. But like, it's just all him. And he just some, I don't, he's got very impressive transitions and things. But yeah, every, it's like every five minutes he's visiting Karen in the HR department, uh, either apologizing for something he's just done or for his chat. So he also loves banning people, oh, which see. is why he, he likes loose moderation because he wants to be able to ban them. So he'll read everything out loud, explain what they just said, and then ban them. So it's, it's very degenerate, but it's fun. Wow. Yeah. That would, I bet, wonder if he's going to write something in Rust. He will. To solve the problem. Oh. No. No. Okay. No, he's too busy finding out how blazingly fast Node is not. Have you gone into his chat and told him to use YAML instead of JSON? Dude, there was this moment. I almost sent it to you. He... <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the person said. Oh, I think they just said, like... It was something about JavaScript. But he reads the comment and then just covers his face and then looks at the camera and says, Nathan. Nathan. And it's like two minutes before he just goes, get the hell out of the startup. (laughs) I was like, oh no, somebody made a comment about JavaScript. Their name's Nathan. (laughs) Can you clip it? Yeah, I'll I'll find it. Uh, It was at like minute 35 or something of one of his recent videos. So I can probably track it down. But, yeah. Yeah, because I would like to turn that into a GIF and <laughs> add it to our WhatsApp. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, my actual, like, work lately has been mostly about the uh, pros and cons and struggles of e- 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 or EKS. Yeah. Uh, because uh, if you need Kubernetes... Turns out EKS works pretty well and handles a lot of stuff for you, uh, unless you under-provision the IPs in your subnets and then need to rebuild your cluster, uh, which is a real pain. Uh, and I read this nice article that explains exactly how you run out of IPs, which I already knew, uh, and then proceeds to explain there's nothing you can really do about it. You just have to rebuild your cluster. So it got me all excited. I was like, yep, this is the problem I'm having. Cool. I'm waiting for the part where they say, and here's how you deal with it without having to rebuild your cluster. And there wasn't one, uh, which doesn't surprise me, really, because at Telmedic, when I worked there, they had a very skilled, very knowledgeable DevOps team and infrastructure 
operations team. And at one point, they just were like, yeah, we have to rebuild the cluster. We don't have enough IP addresses. So I was pretty sure they knew what they were doing more than I do, because I, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm just some guy that got put in charge of all the infrastructure at this company. Lead. Yeah. Lead ops. Yeah, lead ops <laughs> by uh, lack of competition, basically. Wow. Yeah, if nobody else steps in front of you to lead it, you're now in charge. You're in, you're in the front. That's true. So, U.S. election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was first past the post. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I've been working on. But it's uh, we had this problem where we're running workflows that use ephemeral storage. And this is like the one useful potentially tidbit of this entire episode. So wow. freaking pin this. Listen in. So, yeah, li- listen up, <laughs> person that made it this far. Uh, statistically, you won't be here, but we appreciate it if you are. Uh, we're using these workflows, Argo workflows. And they spawn, they have steps, and each step can spawn multiple pods that execute in parallel or whatever. And some of them, most of them, it turns out by default because past decisions, use some, lo- some amount of ephemeral storage. And apparently, according to some guy in a GitHub issue that left a comment on how he resolved this in Argo's GitHub repo, uh, the way to resolve this issue where he kept getting pod deleted errors occasionally in his workflows and they would just fail was that he had to co-locate all of the pods for a single workflow that used ephemeral storage into the same availability zone because EKS or I guess Kubernetes under the hood will look at pods and say they need to be balanced between these two availability zones if you have no groups that span multiple availability zones ours did by default didn't seem to like it mattered until it did and so what was happening is we had these really big long-running workflows with multiple pods Kubernetes would balance them out but if they were all collectively sharing the same ephemeral storage that didn't work because they would get ripped away from their ephemeral storage that was located in their availability zone and then it would cause the pod to be deleted but then it didn't know how to reconnect to its volume mount or something point is I changed it so that now we have one node group per availability zone in the cluster so they're all single availability zone and it appears to have stopped happening uh, so basically high availability is not a thing if you run into this issue but they're also supposed to be short running the problem is that some of them run for like 10 hours uh, so it's very stupid uh, again our front end is built with Create React app two years ago, so we've got issues. But <laughs> this has been a learning experience uh, for me. One, it was fun learning how to uh, juggle all of the subnets and node groups in such a way that I didn't have to just say, hey, things are going to be down for half an hour because we have alerts set up for Slack when critical workflows fail, which means that the uh, C-suite gets notified whenever important things fail. And they wouldn't have liked that if I just showed up and just like, yeah, things are going to fail for a bit. They'd be like, yeah, let's not do that because then they would know. Uh, As of like three weeks ago, nobody knew, but things were failing daily. Uh, And then recently the perception is that things got worse, but actually we just added alerting. Uh, Yeah, it was way more chill when nobody knew that everything failed. Um, So, yeah, basically I learned a bunch about pod affinity 
and topology and node affinity, which I was already using to separate. Basically, I've got like these applications that should be highly available spread across multiple availability zones. Some have uh, multiple replicas, some don't, doesn't really matter. But it doesn't matter where they go. And they're in one node group that's just like app, using an apps selector. And then the other ones are all workers. And I was like, yeah, they can just go with whatever. And this pile of, of nodes, wherever they want to spawn, that's fine, except for this ephemeral uh, storage issue. So if you also happen to be not using the hosted version of Argo, uh, and for some reason are running EKS and also don't know what you're doing and start seeing pod deleted errors, try single availability zones for your node groups and putting all your workflows in there. So now we've got a workers small, workers medium, workers large. I'll probably make a workers tiny and a workers extra large or something like that But because uh, we have five sub subnets. But right now the important ones go single AZ and the other ones... Uh, just get thrown into a bucket that span multiple subnets because nobody cares about those ones because oh. there's no alerts yet. Uh-huh. Yeah, smart. <laughs> if you don't see it, it doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this has been fun. I've actually learned a lot uh, while doing this, uh, mostly about our bad decisions because some of it, not all of it was me. A lot of it was I w- I've spun up everything that currently exists. But a lot of what was what currently exists was just me codifying with our infrastructure as code tools what was already there. So I just took like, oh, this is how things are set up. Let me put it in code. So we moved from our manually created EKS cluster to a codified EKS cluster with the same mistakes okay. uh, because I didn't know any better. And now I've, I know somewhat better. So third time's a charm if necessary. Uh, and it won't be. I'll learn some more new requirements will come in or something yeah and if there is no explicit note in any of the eks slash ebs documentation you could actually open a support ticket and say hey i need these pods across az's to access the same ebs drive and as far as i know ebs drives are a regional service not a zonal service so they should yeah. be spanning they should be able to get access with resources across zones in the same region yes i believe that's all I, I believe that's true and it's something specific to the way that kubernetes is detaching or causing them to be detached during the rebalancing mm-hmm. something like that it's just like non-gracefully disconnects or, or something but anyway it causes things to register as a failure uh and it's not ideal but in the docs the aws docs buried like multiple paragraphs low it says like yeah also if you can't do high availability we recommend you do it that you set up your cluster in this way but it didn't really specifically say hey nathan you know what you're doing you're setting up these argo jobs and they're gonna have a lot of steps and these steps are all gonna have different pods and those pods might need to access ephemeral storage what they said was if you're accessing ephemeral storage you should probably keep it all in the same availability zone and so you should set up your node groups like this. Uh-huh. And I didn't know. I see. Because uh, when I was skimming the dock, it wasn't obvious that that applied to me. And you paid for your insolence. I paid for my insolence, yes. I'm paying for it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. That, anyway, that's what I've been doing. And it's been uh, a lot of fun. 
learning experience. Also learned about the Postgres toast tables recently, uh, which is something about total object exceeding the size that fits in a tuple. Something okay. I don't remember exactly what the toast acronym means, but it st it translates into the data you're trying to put here is too big for a row. What are you doing? And so it makes a separate table. And so I was like, because I was looking at our, our one database, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a disaster. You you do like a breakdown because what we have for a lot of our, our tables in our primary database, that's a problem, is I'll be like total table size, 180 gigs. And then table size, like relation size, 24 gigs. I'm like, um, where's all the space going? And then I check index size. And it's whatever the difference is between those two numbers I just said, like 156 or something. I'm like, why? And it's because there's constantly transactions going on, the vacuum never properly completes, and the indexes are these disgusting compound indexes that are huge. They're just spanning like six columns. And so then they just blow up, the table never gets properly vacuumed, and if I try to re-index it, there's not enough space in the uh, database currently to do that. So I'm like, okay, this is just a problem we need to fix our indexes because they're not even being used that much. But I haven't had time to allocate to actually going through that. And I also, again, don't really know what I'm doing. So I have to learn how to optimize a Postgres database. But what happened for this other database was like, all right, I'm used to the indexes being huge. I'm used to being able to occasionally on smaller ones re-index and then it drops like 10, 12 gigabytes, whatever it is, which is useful. But this other one, I check the table size, total table size, and it's like 154 gigs. And then I check the table size, and it's 34 gigs. And then I check the indexes, and it's 12 gigs. And I'm like, where's all the other space? And then I'm doing some Googling, and Stack Overflow helps me out, as per usual. And some guy has a little diagram that says external space includes toast storage. And uh, then I look at what's actually in these table, this particular table, and we have something called raw data. Oh. The raw data nice. column is, as you might predict, mm -hmm. a JSON blob, yeah. <laughs> uh, which overflows directly into the toast table. So that's where it actually gets stored. And then there's just like a reference or something to it. Yeah. Because again, uh, our front end was created with create React app. Yes. And we don't use any sort of types. Everything's in Python, even the things that should be fast and should be more memory efficient. And we load up things in from like S3 and just stream them directly into a pod and request like 32 gigabytes of memory just so we can hold an entire array of data streamed from uh, S3 in memory and then process it at runtime and then wonder why it takes eight to 10 hours to, to run. So there's some issues. Mm -hmm. But a simple one would just be like not treating a column relational database as a document storage. <laughs> I don't even know if that's document. I think at that point it's big data. It's big data, yeah. You're just like, well, this is a Hadoop cluster <laughs> being hidden as a Postgres. These, uh, <laughs> this is why I love working at companies that are just like these new startups though. Cause I don't, I don't get to collide with so much breadth of things where it's like, nobody's fixing this, but someone has to fix it. Let me just 
hop on the Google machine and see what I can learn. Um, but we are moving a bunch of stuff over to Snowflake currently. And so that's helping us out because we're doing some uh, BI work and they were not doing so well against our RDS instance because our RDS instance never does very well because it every few hours peaks at like 98% CPU and goes like triple the amount of active sessions that it can handle and then drops right back down to like 2% CPU and like 12 active sessions when it can handle 48 because it's a 12x large. So it, wow. yeah, it's crazy. So I'm learning a lot just like from real experience, which is useful in some way of seeing like where do things break when you misuse tools, like misusing RDS as raw JSON blob storage. Uh, like what is the downstream effect? Because someone might say like, oh, it's not ideal when you push it up in a PR but it'll be fine. But then you find out like not even a year later, what actually happened? Well, you have like quadruple the amount of space that you should be taking up in your database and it takes forever to query and it's not useful because it's just a JSON blob. It's not relational data in any way. You could just store this in S3 for a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a cent and pull it when you need it yeah. or just put it into cold storage, like uh, not cold, but glacier or whatever if you never touch it. Put some automatic lifecycle hooks on it Wild. These are things I didn't know a year ago. It's so, so good. So listen out there, kids. Yeah. Uh, change jobs when you're not learning stuff, because that's what I did. And now I get to learn a bunch, even though I'm very bad at a lot of things. I'm getting better. The, I think the point is just not to be the worst one. If you're the only one, if, yeah. I'm the best and the worst. I'm the lead, wow. the lead and the follower. And yeah. I think that's a good place to be. Alone. That's what DevOps is. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the mindset. Yeah, I haven't drank any uh, anything on my own, though. Oh. So I'm not quite there. Not, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, life hasn't dragged you down enough, um, but it's okay. To Yeah, to be drinking scotch on a Tuesday by yourself. Some people do that, and those people are DevOps engineers. Right. Well, I haven't opened the, the scotch that you brought over yet. Um, I've been waiting oh till the God. time when you can walk all the way over and we can hang out and have it's some. It's so far. I yeah. know. I, mean, I know. The but closest it looks... way we could hang out was go to Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like an hour-long commute for me. Uh, uh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I just walked, so it took me six hours. Right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have to do that, you know. No, Walking was optional. <laughs> but, yeah, it looks too fancy for me to open it by myself because mm. my international woman's not going to sit and drink that with me. Oh. And I'm not going to make a mixed drink with it. No. So, no. yeah. Kingsman would be sad. That's right. He did, yeah. Yeah. Got to respect it. So, anyway, that was a, a big rant of what I've been up to. Anything you want to say before we do do betters and then just call it a day? <laughs> no, this is good because I didn't do much uh, tech-wise. I have my summary notes. Uh, I did actually look into a bit more into big data, big storage, EMR, MapReduce, all the keywords. Make sure we put that in description. So people come for that to the clicks and don't actually get any information on it. Dude, the first time I learned about MapReduce, I got so like my programmer brain got so excited. 
I was cool. like, whoa, this is so sick. It's like the best implementation of this idea. And it's like you can use functional programming, which I liked. Because um, if it's pure functions distributed, then you can re-aggregate them safely. And I was just so happy about that. So anyway, that got my attention. Yeah. Uh, if I saw that in a podcast title or hashtag or description, I might click on it and listen. Wouldn't get to this part, but I might listen. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, that made me happy mostly also because I didn't have to do any of the functional programming stuff. Uh, <laughs> the Apache Spark cluster and such had the functionality built in. All I had to do is make sure my data exports followed a certain naming pattern. And so long I was exporting stuff into the right S3 bucket, it would spin up its fleet, take all the data, do whatever it needs to do to join the dots and spit it out into a more aggregatable information. Mm. Um, I built a proof of concept. It was cool. It was fun. And then management came and was like, no, 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 don't do that. Do this other sort of Dell thing, but it has higher business value. Uh, by higher, it's just I built a load generator to basically break our system constantly over and over and over. Um, and it's been... I don't know, four or five months of it's running and I keep adding things here and there. And my favorite thing that keeps happening over and over is something will break in the stack. Someone will come into the chat and say, is the client, something's wrong with the client that's interacting <laughs> with, the, with our servers. And I always go back and say, the client is not a problem because it hasn't been this entire time. Something's wrong in the server side. And then they tell me to look at something on the client side, but then a couple hours later they come to me and say, oh no, we found a bug in the service side. So the trust, earned trust, uh, has been a leadership principle that's been tested. <laughs> um, and it's gotten to a point where, yeah, for the most part, they should test the service first before coming to the client now. Because uh, really it's very hard to mess up, um, write an object to S3, retrieve the object from S3, delete the object from S3 as a, a as a like load generator. Mm -hmm. uh, just spin it, I spawn it across multiple threads and each thread will just do its bashing of writing. Some of them will read from a different one. Uh, there's mild concurrency issues, but then at the end of the day, it's just hammering away at the service. So if something goes wrong, it's probably the service. Right. Um, so I've been learning a lot of stuff about that. So how rate limiting works in Java, uh, how it like perceives thread in its stack and tries to like figure out, because if I have two different threads, one is deleting the object, other one is trying to get it, they might run into a race condition and not like it very much. Uh, so I've been trying to like figure out how to avoid that at, at, as mo at best. Um, and it's a bit messy because the application I was given as a proof of concept to build upon um, had one giant file with all the lifecycle hooks uh, just doing its thing and mm -hmm. every time I look at it I'm like oh no I have to work <laughs> I... The, I have to test this file again um, so I've tried to break it out into different things and such but yeah learning rushed um, that went away very quickly one of the big things I've learned over the summer is not that much about tech and languages but more about how I guess politically things work in big tech and now that we are also hopefully coming towards a fun recession 
uh, how internal communications and external communications change uh, in response to how things work, <laughs> which is uh, very fun to very fun to view uh, and scares me a little bit. Um, so yes, yeah, so I started looking at some other companies as everyone should in tech all the time. Make sure you always have interviewing or looking at potential offers. Yeah. And one of the things I recently had was I was chatting with a recruiter. And generally, in the outside world, when recruiters talk to you, they have a list of languages or technologies uh, that they speak to you about. And I have to respond with, I've been using everything in Housemade. I, I know how Jenkins works. I can host it. I can run it. <laughs> I've used it a lot. In the last year, I haven't used it because I've been using internal Amazon version of Jenkins on orchestrating my pipelines. Right. So I can give you how the methodologies, I understand the principles, I understand the hooks, I understand how you design something like that, but I don't, I, if, if there's, they've done something to Jenkins in the last year, which I'm guessing that there's not a whole lot of change because that's a beast that gets slowly changed every couple of years, um, I'm th I think I'm fine, but it was just interesting how they were just like, oh yeah, how familiar are you with Jenkins? I'm like, I haven't touched it in a year, and they're like, Phew. I'm like, yeah, but I've done CICD practically every day, and they're like, oh, like, ah, you're a recruiter. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I have to always just be like, and when they're like, does this role interest you? I'm like, overall, it makes sense. I wanted to get a sense of business from you. That makes sense. I'd really like to talk to someone from the engineering team before I make any commitments or discuss the rate or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's been interesting to like find and talk and just how performances are, because Working at startups and mid-sized businesses, it's just been nice. All the C-suite knows about you. All the engineering staff knows about you. You really just walk into a performance thing, chat with your mentor, and be like, yo, are you going to pay me more? Because I've been doing stuff. <laughs> and I've been learning. I've been growing. But in a corporation level, you need email threads. You need actual comment um, comments on people's docs. You need, when you do a one-on-one -on -one with your manager, doesn't matter what you talk about verbally, you need written evidence of what happened after in an email acknowledged by both parties or things can go sour very quickly without any evidence trail. And it's kind of exhausting to think as a lawyer all the time when I, all I really just want to be is an engineer. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's been on the hunt where I'm like trying to see if there's like teams where there's maybe a nice balance of that. Because I can't necessarily like blame the managers or anything too, because their roles are also defined and their responsibilities are also being judged based on how robotic they are with these processes and workflows and the commandments Bezos laid out for all of us uh, to follow. And if you don't have the data to do the data driven, your emotions don't count, go to hell. Mm. Um, so yeah, things like that have been a bit of the learning curve over the summer of okay, I've spent a year at Amazon, I've learned these, these things, or I've learned these, this, how technology things work. But at the end of the day, I don't think I've like grown drastically in my technological knowledge. I've seen how, I don't know, some large scale problem gets solved. At the end of the day, a lot of it is optimize your code, spend a lot of money on the servers, and this is how you sort of think when you're presenting it to a customer versus when you're building it for an internal engineering team to use. And yeah, so looking at all of that, like none of it has been like, whoa, that just blew my mind how this works. A couple of things blew my mind on like how 
storage on big big scale happens on how you repair stuff, how you delete stuff, how you make sure I learned about erasure code encoding, which is so cool where you can like take a blob of data, add some random metadata to it, divide it into ten chunks, and you only really need like six or seven of it to recover the entire data back. Uh, so you can lose three and have hundred percent durability, and that like that that stuff just is so cool. <laughs> um, because yeah, and so stuff like that where you learn a little bit of things like that. But yeah, for the most part, it was just how how do you tech? How do you how do people when they don't know about you or your manager leaves or you get a new manager and they don't like you? Uh, how are you gonna balance the communication with like senior level management and others on? No, no, no. I am actually a good employee. I actually know how to do work uh, when there's no paper trail evidence of, or the very little paper trail evidence besides your code reviews and your chats with your senior engineers because they don't matter as much. Uh, they matter to some extent where they'll talk obviously when they're sitting in a meeting room, but it's, uh, it's very difficult to try to take artifacts and say, yes, yes, this is the work I did eight months ago in team Y when you're sitting in team Z and they're like, we, we don't know what to do with this unless there's a lot of nice words and stars attached to it. Right. Because no one's going to go look at your code that you wrote a year ago in a different team and be like, yeah, this is good quality and stuff. They'll just be like, yeah, this is what the people said in his team. But if the people in that team have left, no one said anything. Um, so, yeah, learning learning that was a bit, bit of a painful thing. Um, but, yeah. You were so much better than me at that when we worked together. So I am so glad that I didn't get into AWS when I interviewed. Uh, I've been trying to do the stuff we talked about in a previous episode as much as possible, just like making your work public, especially right now. I essentially, like I report to someone on paper, but he's not involved in any of my operations day to day. So really it's just like I work on an island where I just make sure the infrastructure's up and things are monitored and we keep our SOC 2 compliance active and all that stuff. And ideally, no one would know anything I'm up to because it would mean that I didn't break stuff, which means I have to post about things that I'm up to. Uh, Otherwise, nobody knows. And so I've been trying to do some of that, and I think that's been one way of keeping it public. But if I had to have, like, a proper, like, auditable trail, I would definitely be... Uh, on this, in the seventy-five percent of those getting let go from Twitter. <laughs> Too soon. Uh, Too soon before it happens. Before it happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I learned about things like uh, one of my buddies is in Google, and he referred someone. Someone interviewed did the whole process, and they didn't hire them because of internal reasons, um, and the internal guidance is there's a bit of a higher and such going on across all big tech at this point, but none of it's like explicitly communicated to the outside world. Right. Um, and in, in points like these, I wonder what is happening to all the HR companies and the recruiters who barely work on like commission basis on getting people hired. Um, although, funny enough, I've been getting a lot of contract positions landing into my inbox, which I'm like, okay, worst case scenario if I can't, if I don't have like a big long-term normal job, I could probably have a bunch of contract jobs in a little box yeah. uh, until the economy stabilizes or until I'm like, 
you know what? I won the lottery. I'm just gonna go. Maybe I should start <laughs> buying lottery for that to happen. But, uh, <laughs> but that would be that'd be cool. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what I'm like learning and looking at the shifting markets and stuff and like worries and excites me in different ways of the word. Yeah, September is usually a big month for me to get a lot of uh, recruiting messages. And it was like mostly radio silence this year. And then the last couple weeks, suddenly it picked up again. Uh, And one of them that came in yesterday was a contract role. And they even sent me like a little job description that included the rate. Wow. And I won't give any specifics, but I was like, what? This is like a third of what I was getting for my contract work a year ago. So, no, I won't be taking that. Uh, But it was interesting to just see, yeah, here's a contract role. Like, I've only seen maybe four or five of those um, that I can remember. Uh, Most of them are full-time positions, and they're advertising that they're fully remote or whatever. Uh, But most of them are full-time. So I was curious to to learn more because we are heading into winter. I was like, hey, who knows? Who knows what will happen? As you said, we should always be interviewing, uh, stay on top of it, especially in uncertain times. And so I was like, okay, I'll start doing some interviews. But then this kind of like the the back and forth that's always a bit awkward is the like, well, what, what range are you looking for? What range are you hiring for? Blah, blah, blah. This fortunately was written down and was well below what I would have been looking for to justify additive work. Uh, on top of any sort of full-time position. So I was like, no, I'll skip that. But it is interesting. Yeah. I'm also hoping I get more, like, contract positions that are based out of U.S. Because <laughs> Canadian dollars just not making me very really happy at the moment. Uh, <laughs> I would like me a little bit a little bit of USD uh, just sitting in some foreign account that right. I don't currently have. Uh, but I would have an excuse to open one if they paid me in USD. True. Yeah. So, yeah, here's to knock on wood for whatever reason. I, nothing good is happening right now. I don't know why I knocked on wood. But hopefully something does uh, <laughs> career-wise, and things look stable. I'm also looking at a r- different team within AWS that I have a lot higher hopes of uh, to fit well with the learning aspect of the things I'm looking at because a couple of engineers I know on the team share the similar mindset that I do on yeah, yeah, leave the paper trail, don't worry about it. The managers also seem in tune with that kind of stuff. And the engineers are very much focused on like, yeah, let's just build things. This is what we're here for. And it's a whole bunch of systems engineers, very little SDEs. So because the whole point is rewriting some entire portion of the application uh, to be blazingly fast. Hey! uh, But also to restructure how the deployment happens because it is a... I think we call it like a L1 service or something that has multiple services dependent on it and we need to reshuffle and restructure it because it's an old very dependent service. It's also a big lump of pipeline garbage that's been sitting there for a while. So rejiggering all that out would be a good technical challenge without downtime uh, because Amazon doesn't like downtime on their services. I don't like it when they have downtime either. <laughs> yeah, get out of US East 1. What you doing in there? Yeah, I know. I'm trying to convince them. <laughs> Freaking, okay, folks, here's your second piece of advice. If, if the business people in your company decide that you need to use Pulumi, 
don't follow any of Pulumi's like getting started recommendations. Immediately split up your stack. Just guess. It doesn't even matter. It's easier to combine them later than it is to split them apart. Uh, and definitely disable default providers right away. Because doing it later, apparently they don't have a path for it. And so like everything with Pulumi, they say, this is the easiest way to get started. And then they have no way to get to the mature solution from the easiest way to get started. It's a, it's like, there's not even like a, a, a dirt road. It's just like a cliff and a big chasm and you have to start over. Uh, so I, I've been trying to figure out a way, but the point, the reason why I mentioned this is the default provider gets one region. Mm -hmm. And so the region is currently US East one. And so if I want to use non-default providers, we have to pass explicit providers, which would be easy enough if I could get rid of the default and put in an explicit one and then have, here's the provider for US East 1, here's the provider for US West uh, 2 or whatever we want to do, or Ireland or something. And then be like, okay, we've got a cluster in each of those regions now, it, it's fine. Um, but right now we have to juggle default behavior versus explicit behavior, and I don't like that. Mm -hmm. uh, implicit things are always sketchy. Yes. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned like not working with Jenkins for a while. I've gotten some emails about, not much recently, which is good, but I've gotten some emails about uh, front-end roles. They're like, we're looking for a senior front-end. I was like, yo, dude, I, I haven't touched React <laughs> in like a year and a half. Uh, maybe two years at this point, like at least regularly, because I was doing mostly Python stuff for my second half of my time at Telmedic. And apparently there were some big changes in React 18. I've just been getting whispers uh, through the various channels that I follow on YouTube, but I haven't dug into what the differences are, but apparently it was a big deal. And so I haven't touched it since React 16. And post hooks, uh, post -hooks yeah. Um, but apparently, there's a big change with hooks, uh, and yeah, context. People aren't people don't like context, but also you shouldn't use Redux anymore. Everyone should be using React Query. Things have changed. Wow! And so it's time to do like a React versus 16 versus React versus 18 React versus. Oh, for the for the listen bait. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I am thinking of getting a one-month or maybe two-month subscription to Frontend Masters because uh, it's been a long time, and I have some bookmarked courses. Uh, originally, none of the thinking was to take a like React course, but Brian Holt has recently done like a new updated version of his React course. He's done like four of them now. And so I could do that, get like a brief idea of what the modern state is, just then there's less of a, a gap in knowledge. But the reason I want to is because the Primogen has two other courses on there. One of them, he builds the same app in uh, Go, Rust, and TypeScript. And it just seems fun. Yeah. Fun thing to do. He does that sometimes on his stream, just Go and Rust at the same time, or TypeScript and Rust. And he just complains about TypeScript the whole time, even though he can write it blazingly fast. Uh, and then it runs blazingly slow. Uh -huh. uh, but then he takes a long time to write Rust. Very quick, though, with Go. He did make the point when he was writing something he'd never written before. He's like, I barely written Go. It took me less time to write the Go version than it did the TypeScript and uh, 
Rust versions. Like both of them took longer individually than the Go version. So there is something for the simplicity of the language as well. Yeah. But yeah, want to check that out? Some of the courses I have in there, uh, but also, I guess the rest of it's in my t my do betters. So Let's should probably move on to that. Yeah. Wrap this thing up. So him. One of the things I want to do is for side projects. I do want to think maybe do another episode, next episode or two, about side projects or things that we're interested in. Maybe not like I have some side project things I want to do, but if you just have like, here's some things I've been looking at or I'm curious about, uh, or just like how to stay curious or interested in things. Um, and so, Dobecoin, yes. Uh, much like the markets today, they only go up. Uh, so, one of the things I do want to do is um, there is a series of books, two of them. I guess it barely counts as a series. The minimum amount you, you could consider to be a series, which are writing an interpreter and writing a compiler. And both of them are in Go. Oh, cool. And I, a few years ago, got really into the idea of writing a compiler. I really only got through like the super ultra basic version of writing a parser and a lexer. And then I just threw it into the Babel system that automatically spits it out as JavaScript. Uh, so that I didn't have to do the part that actually processes it once I've built the AST. So I built the AST, threw it in there, and I was just like, you handle it. But I would like to walk through a proper thing that goes through every step, plus it being Go, which is approachable and still a good language to, to have some more experience with. Um, so I'd like to do that as, as a side project of sorts. And uh, so that'd be a personal or a professional related one. Um, but for personal stuff, uh, it's getting dark all the time now. And I've been sleeping like crap. And I've been going to the gym in the mornings forever since this time last year, I guess. But prior to that, prior to that, it was forever. It was always mornings. But then for some reason at this time last year, I started going after I moved, started going in the middle of the day. I'm going to do that again, at least try it, because uh, I'm just not having a good time. I get to the gym. Uh, I also am struggling with how far away it is. So I'm hoping that the fact that I'm already at WeWork, which is closer to the gym than home, that I will take a bit less time to get there. It'll be the middle of the day. I'll arrive feeling a bit better because I it's so weird, but I have, I've always been a person who works out in the morning, do my little routine, get ready, go to the gym, work out. I get to the gym, I'm like, yeah, time to work out. I get to the gym now, and I'm like, what's the point? I've got like half an hour. I may as well just go home. Uh, and then I do like a little bit of lifting. Don't get any endorphins. Don't get a pump. Don't feel good. Don't feel like lifting anything heavy. And then I go home, and the commute takes longer than my workout. And... A lot of it's probably in my head, but I also am very frustrated with the gym right now, uh, mostly just because this was a problem I had with it when I first got there, but it, I could normally overlook it. But the trainers don't give you any space when you're not their person. They're just so close to you and they'll stand in like hallways just in the way. Uh, and honestly, like 
Good Life's a better gym. And if I hadn't have sworn off of Good Life, it's closer. It's a better gym. But years ago, I committed to not giving them any of my money. So it's like, oh, I, I do think about it. Um, but I need to start by changing up the schedule and see if that helps. I may need to do a stupid um, dopamine detox again and see if that resets things. But uh, just listening to music on the way to the gym and during my workout, the last two workouts, did help. I had a little bit of an endorphin rush when I was doing some curls today, and that was exciting because I'd been a while. Uh, but I think listening to podcasts has been a problem. It's too long. The walk to the gym is too long. So I get there, and I'm now thinking about like what the Bank of Canada is up to, or like, <laughs> uh, you know, the the future of currency, or uh, the origins of the universe instead of like my sets. And it's really hard to care about what I'm gonna work up to for a set of five today, when I'm thinking about the computational nature of the space-time continuum. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's that. I know many people who have that problem. I have that problem all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other thing, I want to revisit uh, looking at local Taekwondo clubs because mm. um, there's more than one. Uh, the one I looked at that was super close by and had really good reviews, the uh, um, adult classes started at 8 p.m. or 8.30. And I was like, I'm not going to go. It's too close to bed. What am I going to do? Finish up at 9.30 and then not sleep for an hour and a half? Like, that's frankly just too late for me to expect to want to go ever when especially at that point it'll be dark for four hours or something by the time the class starts so i was like yeah that's not going to work but there are other options so i should see if they have something else because i'd like to do something more active and climbing before i don't see that being consistent it's just too far out of the way uh and they weren't changing the routes often enough but doing something that's not just standing still and lifting things up and putting them down would be valuable. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you? Those are I'm just starting with those. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Keep it keep it light and breezy. Same here. Um, yeah. As for my dead betters, yeah, I looked into the whole market research on how tech companies doing. Um, I am trying to see if there's like tech book clubs of sorts I can maybe look into Okay. Uh, because on my own I do have a bit of a hard time reading tech books non-fix all the way, all the way. I'll read them because I'm like cool someone's story tech books is sometimes they'll throw in a little bit of their story and then they'll be like well yeah this is what the Linux this command does and this is how it works under the hood and like I really only will know this when I'm trying to solve a problem that makes me run into this nature of the problem right and that's when I fix it uh, but that issue doesn't happen in a book. But I'm thinking if I have a book club of sorts where people are chatting about it, then I can be like, oh, that's an interesting way to think about it or something. So I'm going to look into that because when I tried socializing in Vancouver like three years ago, whatever, in Ventures, um, I saw some meetup groups and what a lot of them are just like hosted by people who are trying to pitch a product. Right. Or there will be someone like trying to teach you how to think about the product and such and they're really just trying to get you to like buy their course on how to think and like that's not my problem here at least not that I know of um, <laughs> and it just it was really annoying so I'm, I'm gonna see if there's like things like that exist maybe I'll like look into reddit communities I actually never looked into that but the Vancouver subreddit is pretty active so maybe there's a comp site branch of it 
Maybe I just go hang out with college kids. They read books, right? Hopefully, it's a bunch of dumb overachievers who don't have friends, and I'll be like the old guy in the group they're really friends with. And I'm like, damn, he's in his late twenties. Wow, <laughs> so cool. Uh, <laughs> That's what the kids say about yeah. people in their twenties. Yeah, they'll be like, oh yeah, I just ramen for dinner, and I'm like, you know what? I had ramen with veggies. And we're like, whoa, he can afford veggies. This is crazy. <laughs> he cuts and cooks his own food. Uh, <laughs> so that that's in the, I guess, a bit of a do better, but leading from a did to do. Um, and then did better flights, man. I'm, I'm just getting really good at finding good deals. And I don't know if it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where airlines are coming out with good deals because the economy is crashing and I just keep finding them. Um, but I'm going away in a cold country, leaving a cold country for a month. Uh, but it'll be fun. I'm gonna go look at some Europe. Um, so that was a bit of a thing, like especially also over the summer where I just made this thing on, I'm gonna just buy tickets because everything I put in the stock market is down like 60%. So I just, I, nothing matters, money isn't real. I'm gonna buy tickets and get out of here. And at some point, if I can't afford to get anything, I don't know, move into my parents' house that I own 30% off, I guess. Something. It'll be fine. Uh, for do-betters, uh, skill development. So, join any reading groups. We're adventurous, we're indoors now, there's no outside joy in life. Uh, so, let's create and learn and grow <laughs> so that all of summer we can be out in the sun again and feel like we deserve it. Um, yeah, hopefully the new team brings more brain enjoyment, so we'll see how that works out. Um, I'm gonna bump up the reading, but more tech-based reading. This, I realized if I just really wanna sit down and read, I can, I no longer have the concentration problem. Uh, I just, if I don't like the book, I throw it away, I pick up a different one, I'm like, cool, I can actually focus if I like the content. Uh, I'm gonna continue with the spinning. Uh, I'm looking at some different apps and such because I don't know how valuable saying my teacher has three pence uh, is when I actually go visit Mexico in like different forms of learning the language. So maybe like more conversational based and I saw some apps uh, online. So I'm gonna try to play around with those. Um, it is a bit of an addiction to keep the streak going though. Yeah. Like I, get, I, I wake up in the middle of the night if I know I'm like not hitting my uh, streak goal of that day. I, one day I got a streak freeze uh, to save it and since then I've been extremely paranoid. Uh, I didn't even know because of whatever WhatsApp prompt it sent me. I got rid of my reminders, everything, and just skipped my brain. I was actually enjoying life. And the next day I'm just like, oh my god, it, I freeze equipped and I'm good, but never again. Uh, so Maybe I keep the Duolingo for learning and enhancing the vocabulary uh, because I guess it is nice, still nice to know how to say certain words, but grammar and conversationally, uh, I might also look at their stories and such, maybe I'm not using the app to its full extent, but internet recommended me other things and as someone with, you know, a drive for not focusing on one thing and being in many different things a little bit, uh, it's very tempting, so I'm gonna try to do that and see if I can learn that way. Do the internet recommend Memrise? I think so. Because I tried to use it and got confused. Oh. Like, 
it's not, it's not like I'm completely useless with technology, but I started it and then couldn't figure out if I had to pay to keep using it or if I was not doing well enough to progress or what exactly was happening. This was like a year ago, but I yeah. Have, I, I have that installed. So. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say, if you find out that it's great, uh, I'll give it another shot. <laughs> but after using it for a bit, I was uncertain with what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what the other one was called, but I got one called Lingo Deer purely because the mascot looks really cute. Okay. And internet said it's good, but I haven't actually started doing it. Uh, there's apparently also some app where you can just chat with strangers in different languages online. It's like a bit of a VoIP-based app, oh. um, which is mildly terrifying, but... Who knows, maybe. I just call someone and be like, hola, and see how that goes. Yeah, because I don't like speaking to people in English over the phone or voice over IP. I just think of it as like, I don't know, AI. I'm not even going to consider them real people because I'll just hang up. I see. If they're annoying. Um, and if not, maybe I'll have a couch to crash on in Mexico next time I go and not have to pay for <laughs> the very cheap resource they have right yeah, yeah. it is a struggle <laughs> yeah <laughs> fair enough yeah the yeah the growth is focused on yeah let's just read more see what i can create i uh, started doing a little bit more meditation but it's it's been on and off at this point anyway so i'm like not dying to for it but as i am stepping out of the house day after day and look at the gloom and it's like I think sooner or later I'm going to need to just make happy thoughts before I leave the house to get into a certain mindset as opposed to I get out and I'm like, oh, I guess it's kind of warm. I guess I could walk. Uh, now I'm just like, I don't want to go out. Uh, it's raining. Um, so, yeah, meditation will probably help again. Maybe I'll buy one of those stupid mood lamps that we're going to keep talking about, see if they help waking up. Because my girlfriend doesn't like my aggressive three high lumen <laughs> white lights that turn on and like wake up <laughs> like, yeah yeah i'm hoping to get sick of the rain because right now i appreciate it because the drought was pretty bad yes. smoke dead salmon all that but now it's raining i'm gonna appreciate it for a little bit but i want to get sick of it then i'm going to ontario where it probably won't be raining in november and then come back get sick of it and then go to mexico and then come back. Muy bueno. And then I need to go to Europe or something. Yes. Uh, so that's like one of my to-do betters to go back to that idea of like, this doesn't count. You're not doing better. You're just doing something you're supposed to do, which is you plan something for next year. Uh, so got to do that. Yeah. Part of it will probably be coordinated uh, with the tiny Mexican woman. Mm -hmm. And part of it will probably also not be because she also has her own constraints with with work and limited visa options compared to me yeah. uh those sorts of things so i will i need to get get out and go yes. uh 2019 is calling and i need to, <laughs> to get out in the world before everything was suddenly stopped so yeah com man round trip to amsterdam and back from vancouver early next year 500 bucks yvr deals yeah okay so, oh, before we wrap up, last thing, because we're talking about flights. Let me just write down YVR deals. 
deal, not Eves, YVR deals that come. I originally booked a flight to Ontario with Swoop. Mm. It was like a early morning departure, midday arrival. There was a layover in there, but I was like, it should be fine. I'm arriving at like 3 p.m. or maybe it was later. I think that one might have been like at 6 p.m. because I'm arriving at 3-ish now. And after like a couple weeks, I knew, first of all, discount airline, things can be weird. But the reason I went with them was because they had a midday flight as opposed to an overnight flight. And it was going to be like 100 bucks to fly there as opposed to like 800 bucks for round trip, uh, which is what I was expecting to pay for an overnight flight. Like the normal experience of me visiting Ontario, which is why I don't do it very often, is you pay over $800 round trip to fly overnight and then you get a great flight back where it's like you leave at noon and arrive at 3 p.m. because time zones. Uh, yeah, yeah, whereas you leave here at like 6 p.m. and arrive at 6 a.m. And you're like, how is this, why is this so bad? So uh, then, yeah, a week or two after I book it, they're like, your flights have changed. And they, they send it to me. They changed it to an overnight flight. And I was like, no, no. Like I was making a bunch of compromises for this. I was going to have to... Don't don't throw up. I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, I had to go. I was gonna have to go to Abbotsford Ugh. instead of from Vancouver, and I was going to land in Toronto, and I would have had to take the train. So I was like, I don't care what the price is now. I'm not making these concessions, going to Abbotsford and then having to commute from Toronto with an overnight flight. If I'm gonna fly overnight, I'm at least going straight to where I want to go, and so. I checked before, they, they sent me this email and they said you can cancel if these plans don't work. So before I canceled, I uh, checked flights. And for some reason, in that intervening couple of weeks, uh, prices dropped tremendously and they got a lot better. So now I'm flying with a real airline for like 600 bucks all in. Uh, that was after like all the like carbon tax and all that crap. It was like 600 bucks a round trip, and it's mid midday. I arrive at 3 p.m. both ways uh, instead, of, uh, instead of flying overnight. So my, I don't really know what lesson to take away because every time I've put stuff off before, I've had to pay more, and it's been worse. But this time, I bought a flight and then canceled it, got a full refund, and had a much better flight. So I don't know if I have a lesson other than like swoop is – is worse than I thought potentially no it's just right. airlines are weird like that I I got a deal of a lifetime and of a lifetime pro probably not gonna get anything better ever again. smokes uh, but I booked it for the before mentioned girlfriend uh-huh uh, from some part of Europe but I wanted to get it from a different part of Europe where I would be uh, near coming back uh-huh and those flights were like I don't know like seven hundred dollars and then once I booked hers from Departure X, two days later, I look at Departure Y again, and it's like 300 something. I'm like, how? It's the same airline, everything. Yeah. Within three days, the prices have dropped. Uh, <laughs> and I just, at that point, gave up. I think there should be insurance for doing the price match on this kind of nonsense things. 
uh, even across airlines, and then <laughs> they'll be kept in check. Right. Yeah. On a, one of the financial podcasts, I need to stop listening to before I walk, where as I walk to the gym, they were talking about sticky prices, and like sticky prices exist in markets as a whole, but they don't exist in submarkets. Like, show go to an airline website and show me sticky prices. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about, because yeah, like you say, prices just drop in half for no reason, or double. Or double, yeah. You don't know. You don't know, but you might if you keep listening to this podcast. So tune in next time. <laughs> It might be next week. It might be two weeks from now. We don't know. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.